Hello, everybody. Welcome to We Can Do Pod Things. I am Annalise. I'm Emily. And this is the podcast to listen to if you want to hear <clears throat> two ladies talk about a different podcast called We Could Do <laughs> Hard Things by Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, and sister Amanda. I was thinking recently about how if people don't listen to that podcast, they would assume that she's a nun. Because we are <laughs> sister Amanda Doyle. <laughs> she is actually not a nun that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of either. She although is, she does have many talents. She I'm does. not sure that's among them. I think she has a husband as well. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. that might that disqualifies her, from, her, I guess. Mm-hmm, the sisterhood. She is Glennon's sister. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, in the sister. literal sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we, uh, we just really like that podcast. And we like that it offers us some talking points and some other things to kind of like expand upon and and throw off of each other so that's what we're going to do is we that's what we do here um we are actually on our part two of our episode about the nixium cult and before we get started i have our quote of the week i found this on (laughs) the facebook says you are personally responsible for becoming more ethical than the society you grew up in. Ooh. Thoughts? Who is that? Uh, actually, there's no, there's no mm-hmm. author attributed. Unknown. So if this is your quote, let me know. And well done. Yeah, seriously. We, ag- we agree, don't yeah. we? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. yes, we do. We do agree. I actually had this a conversation just last night with someone about how our kids are benefiting from all of the knowledge and the hard work that we're putting in mm-hmm. so that eventually we are going to become the bad guys and they're going to be coming to us and saying, Hey, did you know that this was problematic or this was whatever, whatever was mom can't say that. And, and, ha- and they asked me how I felt about that. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm a parent, so I kind of microdose that daily mm-hmm. in the whole, oh, I just said a thing to my kid that was kind of shitty, or, oh, that had an unintended consequence. Yeah, I can only hope that our generation is able to receive that feedback, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because, you know, some, and that's not even true about entire generations. I right. mean, some people are open to that kind of feedback and some people aren't right i hope that i'm one of the people who is open to that feedback and continues to evolve i imagine as i age as i know you fairly well that that is likely that you will be the one open to feedback well if not i mean you're going to be around you're still going to be there so (laughs) you can put me in check yeah i might have to we might have to have a come to come to hazy's talk Mm -hmm. but um yeah interesting interesting thought all right oh because this is the episode before christmas the daydream before christmas the anything but a nightmare before christmas Mm -hmm. we are gonna open our presents to each other this is Something that I wasn't expecting, and I'm worried that I underperformed I'm, on the gift giving. I don't think that's possible because I can, I'm not convinced that you don't already have this thing that I got you. So okay, all right, all right. Um, I set mine over there so that I wouldn't be tempted. 
to look at it in the bag. Okay. I kind of want you to do yours first. Or are we doing them at okay. the same time? It doesn't matter to me. Okay, well, let's... You do yours first. Okay, all right. Here it goes. We don't spare wrapping paper here. We just rip things open. Yeah. I don't have this. You don't? Okay, no. I'm, I'm very good. I'm, I'm happy. So, uh, Emily is a massive Dolly Parton fan and, among other things, also a reader. So, I got you the book Run, Rose, Run. That is her, her uh, collaborative book with James Patterson. There is not a thing that this woman can't do. I know, literally. And then open the second part. We have a theme. We have a theme. This is the album of music that Dolly Parton wrote as a side to the book, to compliment the book. Thank you. You are so welcome. Oh, I totally underperformed on the kids. No, there's no way. Not, nope, not I possible. Really also, that is the Walmart limited edition peach colored vinyl. Wow. Thank you. Oh, a witch's calendar 2023. Oh my God. Ah, there's spells and everything. Yeah, I just thought, you know, if you want to do a little summoning in the year 2023. I might need a few of these. Sacred composting. I don't know what that is, but it calls to me. It calls to me. Thank you. Is there... Oh! And just a little treat. A little salted caramel hot chocolate bomb because you know I'm obsessed with salted caramel right now. A little bit. A little bit. Thank you. You did not underperform. Well, last year, guys, I got a signed copy of Glennon's book, and there's nowhere to go but down after that. (laughs) (laughs) It uh, you did very well. Thank you. I love it so much. Um, all right. So now that we've done that, let's talk about cults, baby. Yeah, let's do. And neither one of us took notes for this second half. So we're really just flying by the seat of our pants here. Yeah. So I'll let you start. (laughs) So I know already that I'm probably going to pinball around between the two episodes because not only is ours a two episode, but the We Can Do Hard Things um, is also a two episode mm-hmm. regarding this topic. I really just found it so interesting when she was talking about, and I know that this is way towards the end. There must be so much more that we could be talking about before this, but um, closer I, the closer oh, I am to yes. find the Indigo Girls, yes. the Indigo Girls song. I've been obsessed with that song since I was seventeen. So. I have not. I came to the In Girls a little bit, Indigo Girls a little bit later than most. But how true! Like yeah. how they just nailed it with that, didn't they? Yeah. Let me pull up the lyrics to it for those of you who aren't familiar with the song. And it's one of those things where it's like the wisdom was right in front of us all along. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I feel like it's kind of always like that. Like we always mm-hmm. are like, oh wait. Mm-hmm. I've known this the whole time. Yeah. I just didn't put it all together. Or now I know what that person meant when they said that thing. The chorus is, I went to the doctor. I went to the mountains. I looked to the children. I drank from the fountains. 
There's more than one answer of these questions pointing me in a crooked line. And the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to fine. She talks about, she goes to see the doctor of philosophy with a poster of Rasputin and a beard down to his knee. He graded her performance. He said he could see through her. I spent four years prostrate to the higher mind, got my paper, and I was free. So she went to college. And she went to the bar. And she was a seeker. She's looking Mm -hmm. for answers or guidance, all these things in the same way that we all are, in particular, in the same way that Sarah relates to searching for something in this high control group, Mm -hmm. Nexium. Mm -hmm. And it turns out there aren't answers. Yep. And the sooner we let that be the case and lean in Mm -hmm. to there not being answers, the closer we are to fine. Yes. Uh, Just let go of the control, Mm -hmm. the external. I'm so glad I don't have any difficulty (laughs) with things like that. It must be awful for people right? who like, struggle I have with so that. much empathy for people <laughs> like that because it's certainly not me. Um, yeah, that I, of course, they love that song because mm-hmm. that's a song that I, I personally, <laughs> in the day of AOL away messages. Oh, was that a frequent? That I. That's how I learned about that mm-hmm. song because a friend of mine had put it up as her away message, and I was like, "What's this song?" So I used my LimeWire to download it because YouTube wasn't a man, thing. Man, oh man, we're hopping in the time machine Dipping right now. in the nostalgia mm-hmm. and downloaded it and listened to it and just basically didn't stop listening to it because it's fire. Um, yeah, I think that's such a relevant song and probably one that I don't listen to enough because mm-hmm. like it's, Indigo Girls isn't always at the top of my playlist. And let's face it, I've listened to a lot of sad girl music last year. <laughs> Did you listen to that Lana Del Rey song that I told you? To oh my to? god, yes! Cracked you wide open, wide open. That's that's a song for the um, Chelsea Handler episode, which it we is. will be doing. We will, we promise. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, I know that you're hardcore waiting to hear what we have to say, and there there I have so much to say. I do have notes on that one. Oh, well, good. <laughs> when we get to it. I have notes on that one. I have notes on the Trisha Hersey one that we yes. also have yes. on our schedule. Those will probably be the next two episodes, everybody. <laughs> I'm going to say it now. So yeah, uh, the the less you seek for that validation or that external making sense of things, mm-hmm. the stronger you end up being. And I think that that's why cults have the hold that they do, whether it's a religious cult or a self-improvement cult, Mm -hmm. because people are just trying to find meaning in the daily grind. Like, I literally don't know anyone who isn't doing that. Right. So that's what makes them so attractive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to understand why these things appeal to people. No, it's not. It's it's makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. actually. So like Lennon says, if you're a seeker, you can't find. Right. Because once you think you have found, 
that may be an indication that you, my dear, are in a cult. A cult. <laughs> right. It's like, and not everyone, not everyone is a seeker, but it, because we need all kinds. We, not everyone's a hunter. Not everyone's a gatherer. We need, we need both. But it's that whole, the destination mm-hmm. is the goal mm-hmm. instead of the learning process. Right. That is so tempting and attractive because we all just want those answers. Mm-hmm. But that's ultimately going to be our downfall because if you think that you found the answer, you're probably just found a cult. Right. And the job of the seeker, what did she say? The job of the seeker is to seek mm-hmm. until we die. Mm-hmm. But how hard, I mean, to think that you have found it mm. and then have to do what feels like going backwards. Right. You know, I mean, to think that you've got the thing mm-hmm. and then to have to step outside of that again and sort of come back down, let your feet touch the earth again. Yeah. Well, and you're like, am I gaslighting myself right now into thinking that this is okay? Or does some of that really insidious, deep-seated dogma creep in and, and go, mm, you're taking the easy way out. Mm-hmm. You're just being lazy. And I that's something I think she talks about that is so attractive about these cults. Or having this shared dogma is it creates that sense of a belonging. Mm -hmm. But if we know what we know about belonging from Brene Brown, there's a difference between belonging and fitting in. And I think she puts it because it was uh, uh, from a kid. She had, I think she was had spoken to some junior hires maybe Mm -hmm. or something. Gotten data from adolescents, and I mean, if you're gonna get data about what it feels like to belong or uh-huh. not to belong, there's not a better place uh-huh. to get that data. That one kid said the difference between belonging and fitting in is fitting in means I have to be like you. Mm-hmm. Belonging means I get to be like me. And that's how these high control groups get, they they synthesize mm-hmm. this sort of belonging because Look, you can find a community. You can find people who get you and understand you. And you don't have to constantly explain yourself to them. Because you're all just acting the same way that you're supposed to. But they do kind of lead you in with the idea that this is where you can be who you are. Right. With the love bombing. Mm -hmm. And then – Because it's – once you're all the way in and you've closed the door behind you, mm-hmm. that's when they change the script. Yep. And it becomes in subtle ways, so you don't necessarily see it, but it becomes now's when you have to fall in line right. with the rest of the group. They and she talks going back to I think this was technically in the end of the first episode, but she talks about the branding and um how she was like the third person to go or something like that. And she knew it was going to hurt. And she was like, I'm just going to be a good little girl and I'm just going to get through it. And I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm just going to not give them the benefit of seeing me in pain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the more I move, the harder or the longer it'll take and the harder it is. So I just got to do what I can do. And that trauma bond then that she formed with 
the the person that she had thought was this good good friend of their mm-hmm. of hers going oh I was so proud of you you did so good like you were so strong and the effect of that trauma bond on someone and you could tell that she has such conflicted feelings which of course how could you not mm-hmm. with how she was able to persevere through that situation and but also like but I shouldn't have had to and I, and it sounds like a little bit like she's feels like there's something wrong with her for being proud of the fact that she was able to get through that right okay um can we spend just a minute talking about the process of the branding because mm. I thought that it was like a stamp mm-hmm. in that it was one single piece right. that was heated and pressed into trigger warning, by the way. I mean, this is all- Massive trigger warning. It, yeah. Mutilation, sexual abuse, sexual coercion. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was pressed into the skin and that alone would be- horrific, mm-hmm. but it's not that. It's like almost like a pen yeah. that's heated up and or like a tattoo needle. Like yeah. I I didn't realize that at first. When I, I watched brands, the vow, I, I didn't realize that. I don't think all brands are like that. Mm-hmm. And she I think she even mentions that like the way that they do it with cows, mm-hmm. cattle is actually more ethical. And that's been my only, that's my only context for branding. Mm -hmm. So that's what I thought it was. And it seems like it could have been, like, it doesn't seem like they had to make it as painful as they did. They could have done the branding without it having to be as traumatizing as it was. I mean, if you brand somebody, trauma is part of the package. That's that's part of what you signed up for, I guess. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't have to be to that extent. It was so sick Mm -hmm. how, and they took video of it and those videos were sent to Keith and he very clearly is a disturbed individual who has his own agenda and it is filled with things that involve taking people's consent away. And the person who did, correct me if I'm wrong, but the person who did the actual procedure was not someone who was in the group. I think she well, she was a doctor. Mm-hmm. I think she was in the group. Was she in the group? I, think. I thought that she was just, I mean, not exactly a rando, but somebody who wasn't even necessarily in the group that they just brought in to perform this procedure. So I think maybe she was in Nixium, but she wasn't in DOS. It would make so much more sense if she was at least in Nixium mm-hmm. because otherwise I'm like, how do you find anybody who would be willing to do that? Well, I, that and that's why I think she was somehow involved because later on she talks about uh, that that doctor was getting, they were working on getting her like license revoked and um, how she continued to like care carry the party line or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think she was involved somehow. But yeah, that's so many issues. And that kind of reminds me of, it made me think about my own experiences with 
coercive situations or experiences that weren't necessarily happening with my own consent and how I will never be grateful that they happened, but I can still take pride in the fact that I had something happen to me Mm -hmm. that had the, uh, the capacity and the propensity to destroy me. And instead of allowing it to destroy me, I chose to take that disembodiment, Mm -hmm. that disassembling, that disintegration and rebuild into something better. Right. It doesn't mean that I owe any gratitude to the people who violated my boundaries, but I am allowed to be proud of the fact that, yeah, I shouldn't have had to go through what I went through. I shouldn't have had the experiences that I had, but I did, and I can't change that fact, and I chose Mm -hmm. to build myself up afterwards. Right. So on the off chance that she's listening out there, I don't, I, I think you're allowed to be proud of the fact that you sat there and you had the mental fortitude to minimize the amount of physical pain or, or whatnot. You're allowed to be proud of the fact that you experienced that and, and got through it and not be grateful for it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be grateful mm-hmm. for it. But you you still did that thing. It doesn't take away the, the fact that you still did that thing. And it shouldn't have happened to you. Right. But look at you. Now you know what you're made of. And there's nobody that's going to be able to fuck you over or take that away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was a, a lot of when she was talking about that, the branding, like, and, and how she felt about it afterward. And that she, she still doesn't go really into it, doesn't like to think about it, doesn't like to do like a lot of specifics because it is so triggering for her because of course it is. But while she was talking about that, I just, that's made me think of my own experiences and how I was watching a, I don't remember who it was. It was some motivational speaker. I was watching a documentary about them with the person I was dating at the time. And whoever this, he's famous. I don't even, I don't remember what his name is, but he said something about being grateful for what are, you know, like the abuse that happened to us or whatever, because that's what made us who we are. Mm-hmm. And I remember stopping that and looking at the person I was sitting with and going, I was sexually assaulted. That doesn't mean that I have to be grateful for mm-hmm. it. It didn't make me who I am. Right. I made me who mm-hmm. I am. And that's a lot, I think that made me think of this situation. Yeah. It's hard when well-intentioned people mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. try to find meaning or a silver lining in these experiences. And in doing that, just totally miss the mark. Yeah. And I, I think it's also possible that 
even people who have experienced trauma or these sorts of situations can also say, yes, I, they choose to say, I'm mm-hmm. grateful for this, or I, I don't, I'm not glad that it happened, but you know, I'm glad that I was able to whatever, because that's a coping mechanism. It's one of those things where it's never for the person sitting opposite you mm. to say mm-hmm. on your behalf. Right. Because that it takes is, away your consent. It is Again. only for you to say whether or not that is your frame of your experience and what happened to you. Right. Nobody can apply that to your experience. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yes. Because my perspective is going to be different from your perspective. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different from Sarah's perspective. It's going to be different from this guy's perspective. But I also think that that is a sort of disembodied way of dealing with what happened to us, regardless of the specific situation, because that's just our way of coping with it. Kind Mm -hmm. of like how we disassociate or how our brains don't um, necessarily store the worst of the worst trauma that we experience out of that sense of, of love for ourselves or um, that, charity kind of how the freeze response mm-hmm. and the shutting down of the 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 one last act of mercy before death i think it's a small mercy that people apply to themselves and that's for, like you said that is their choice mm-hmm. to do that yeah you don't or not to, to do that or not to do mm-hmm. that yeah it's it feels weird <laughs> mm-hmm. but that was what the branding that I'm glad you brought that up because it reminded me of that. And what kind of I mean, it just makes you consider the headspace that she was in because in your practical mind, you think about this and you know she's getting this brand. She's going to sooner or later have to reveal this to mm-hmm. her husband. Mm-hmm. That is going to require a lot of explanation and I mean, all of these things are inevitable Mm -hmm. and she knows that going in, but she can't even in that moment think past the immediacy of what is happening. Yeah. She froze Mm -hmm. and she talked about like her freeze instinct kicked in when really flight was probably more appropriate. Mm -hmm. But I think I know for me, that is my go-to threat response. And that is something that I'm working on mentally and in EMDR Mm -hmm. and therapy and trying to regain the realign the appropriate threat response to the situation. But women, I believe in general are socialized and we're taught more that that's the more appropriate Mm -hmm. response is the, the freeze. Yeah. Don't make waves. Don't make a scene. Mm-hmm. Don't make problems. Basically, don't make anything. Yeah. Don't even make eye contact. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that being that men are tend to be socialized more to, to do that, to fight, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also not appropriate. She talks about how her husband was never getting promoted mm-hmm. because 
what was the word that they used? Uh, defiant. He was defiant. He wouldn't just follow all of the rules right? the way that they wanted him to. Uh, I love that because I have been called defiant many a time in my life. And I'm I, making that a personal goal to be <laughs> I vibe called defiant, defiant more often. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and that was a big tool in the church what to of of manipulation was using defiant as a negative thing rather than a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Which I think is just so interesting because Jesus was defiant. Mm-hmm. But Jesus was a lot of things. Jesus was allowed to do a lot that of things are that other people were for the mainstream conservative narrative. Yeah. And that actually she does kind of talk about how do you know it's a cult? Well, is there a separate set of rules for the person at the top? And that goes into that mm-hmm. separate set of rules for the person at the top. Um, and you all, did you also notice how she talked about at that point in time, she and Nippy were having problems and that was also of Nixium's doing. I that did. was their own way of isolating. And kind of related to that, how she mentioned that right after she had her child, and they could kind of sense that maybe they were losing her a little bit, mm-hmm. that they enticed her with all these things. I mean, that is pure evil. Absolutely. When you see that this woman is blossoming into motherhood and she's starting to maybe open her eyes just a little and they just pulled her in even tighter. Straight back to the love bomb. Yes. Straight back to manipulating. Yeah. Um. Do you have anything else to say about that? About the family relationships? The branding and the... Well, just a big one for me was thinking about, can you imagine having a child who was caught up in something like that? I didn't realize there were kids involved until she mentioned it, that they were teenage women. Well, I don't think you've gotten around yet to watching The Vow. Correct. But a large part of The Vow is Catherine Oxenberg talks about her daughter, India, Mm. who was involved for a very long time, even after the news broke, even after the wheels started to fall off. Mm. She stayed loyal for a very long time and was not in contact with her mother. And they had joined together. And so her mother felt all this guilt for kind of leading her into this flock that turned out to be a den of Mm -hmm. wolves. And I just can't imagine the pain of having a child in something like that. I mean, they might as well be dead to you for that period of time. It's almost worse. It's almost worse. That really reminds me of, I think it was the Heaven's Gate cult. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a a woman, a young woman, she was like 21 or 20 or something that got involved and was got, was attracted to this sense of belonging and this, and all this and wrote back letters to her parents or sent video letters Mm -hmm. or whatever. And how her parents, they watched her slip away right in front of their Mm -hmm. eyes. Did you watch the R. Kelly documentary? Mm -hmm. I mean, 
notes of that too. Mm-hmm. Those girls who kind of became part of his inner world and then their families were completely cut off from them. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's isolation to the nth degree. That is like textbook of the isolation. But I think that it's interesting what I think didn't surprise (laughs) me the most, but maybe caught me the most off guard was how they couldn't physically isolate Nippy and Sarah, Mm -hmm. but they emotionally isolated them. They, they were able to apply the principles that they needed at an unseen level. Mm-hmm. And proximity was one of the only yes. things that saved Sarah. Yeah, she said she wasn't in Vancouver with the rest of them, right? She was in Vancouver. She was in Vancouver. They were in Albany. They were in Albany. So just so having much- that much distance was maybe one of the only ways that she was able to crawl out from this really sinister thing yeah, that she was trapped under. The, the closer in proximity you are to that power source, the easier it is for them to control and the easier it is for us to get sucked in mm-hmm. because you literally are seeing it every day. Yeah. And, and that sense of FOMO is, oh, well, so-and-so's doing this thing and go, getting to go to these secret meetings. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to, I don't want to do that. And that's one place where out of sight, out of mind actually works heavily in your favor. Um, props to Sarah for at one point managing a double life. Cause I can barely manage a single one, <laughs> <laughs> but she talks about having to live as a double agent for a while. And that must've been incredibly hard to pull back the curtain and see what it is and then have to play along with it. Yeah. Like everyone thinks that sounds fun until they have to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've never had to do it, but I mean, who hasn't want, dreamed of being a spy? Like, I mean, that does sound fun for a minute, but having to live that and yeah. at, with the actual fear of what, What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? Am I going to go to jail? Am I going to go to prison? Am I going to get killed? Mm-hmm. Like, j- not that you operating in that high alert status constantly causes so many health issues. It, I mean, it, the adrenaline and the cortisol constantly flowing that's horrible for our hearts and our brains, the inflammation that that causes in our bodies. That's uh, yeah, I can't imagine what that was like for her. And if it, does the woman ever get to calm down now? Like, does she does she get to relax? Is she still on high alert? You've got to wonder if some sense of that will always mm. be with her. Of wondering, like, are they still? trying to come after me. Could they still come after me? I mean, she did it for so long that it's it's like our it's natural for our brains to want to automate that mm-hmm. stuff. That's how we make habits is by making them so that we don't have to think about them anymore. And there are still people, I think, who are loyal. Mm. Not many, right? But I think there are some still to this day who are loyal to that group. But, and it's just like when your brain has been conditioned to do that, even if you're thinking to yourself, I'm fine, I can be calm, I don't have to be upset, or I don't have to be on red alert, 
you can't, your brain doesn't just be like, oh, okay, cool. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I'm totally my bad. I'll go back to sleep now. Like it's been trained to do that. And the, and the amygdala, the most primal part of our brains where the threat response system is, is also the oldest part of our brains. So it doesn't really know nuance or situation. It's thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm-hmm. And it, because it doesn't have to be that logical or complex or reasonable. So it's not as simple as just going, okay, amygdala, we're going to use a bunch of words and language and logic and where you, it doesn't respond to that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's dinosaur. It responds to thumbs up, thumbs down, good or bad, right. safe or unsafe. You can't just reason your way out of that. Like that takes some hardcore deprogramming. Well, and when you, when the news is full of stories about people, not from Nixium, but from other high control groups, mm-hmm. in particular, uh, politically motivated high control groups yep. that we all hear a lot about these days, and some of the unbelievable things that very t- normal, typical, average people have been motivated to do under the influence of those groups. How do any of us feel safe ever? (laughs) I mean, really? Are you aware (laughs) that we are all going to die someday? Maybe I'm being a little alarmist, but... It's still valid. Yeah. It's still a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope... I hope she's able to sit down sometimes and just chill Mm -hmm. and be at peace because being that wound up all the time, I mean, (laughs) I am pretty wound up all the time, (laughs) but not that bad. What would it be like to have to be wound up because you have a reason to be wound up (laughs) and not just be wound up? Oh God, that sounds glorious. we're just inclined to be wound up. What would it be like to go throughout my day and not be worried about everything and just select what I'm worried about. Mm. Wasn't that one of the things that you said back on the first podcast is you had texted me and said, what's it like for other people to go through life and not worry about the news or something like that? Maybe I did say that, but I'm starting to wonder if anybody I don't know. Maybe there are, maybe there's someone out there. Maybe there are people out there who manage it, but I'm, I'm starting to think it's less and less likely that that's a reality for anybody. Yeah. I'm trying to find, I'm, I'm committed to finding the quote that you said. We're all just a bundle of anxieties. And if you're not a bundle of anxiety, I don't understand you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just wouldn't it be nice? Just mm-hmm. not to be able to turn our brains off and relax. I hope that Sarah's figuring that out because we all need to figure that out. But if we think we figured it out, uh, then we're probably in a cult. Then we're probably in a cult. So, we're seekers. Well, we're not finders. Uh, my life. One of the things that Sarah said that I really liked was she talked about tools in the toolbox because mm-hmm. um, she had gotten some backlash on her podcast about having this per- specific speaker on and 
some of the people close to her were like, we're a little worried because you're, you know, consulting with this person and her saying the difference between having, between listening to an expert or the difference between an expert and a cult leader is the cult leader make, when you make the tools your life, that's when you're in a cult. Mm -hmm. If you just have, I have this tool from Brene Brown. I have this tool from Glennon Doyle. I have this tool from hell. You could even choose it from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if you're not making it your life, then you're safe. But when you become so wrapped up and embodied in, in one dogma or in one person or in one philosophy, that's when it becomes dangerous. I just kind of latched myself onto this idea, but I think there's something to this. When you become the tool in service to the thing, (gasps) instead of the thing being a tool in service to you. Yes. You know? You, you, yes. When you become the tool. (laughs) So don't be a tool. Don't be a tool. Man, there are quite a few people that I need to really hear that message, but I'll save that for a different episode. No, that, but that's, and we talk about balance and we talk about being in alignment with ourselves and being embodied or being Mm -hmm. whole. And when we stop being, when we stop belonging to ourselves. Yeah. I'm not using this program anymore. I'm being used by this program. Yes. And it goes back to, we can only belong to anything Mm -hmm. as much as we belong to ourselves. Yeah. And if I give myself away to this tool, to become the tools tool. <laughs> Can we throw a couple more tools in there? <laughs> I love it. She also talked about how it, they start out so innocently mm-hmm. an invitation to a potluck or a book club or whatever. And that just makes me think about how disingenuine it is. And that in order to get people to buy into this, not only do they potentially have to be fake. Well, in order for them to live in it, they have to be fake or mm-hmm. they have to they have to modify their own actual being. But the people who are trying to get them in also have to be fake. So it's all just built on this inauthenticity. And Glennon wasted no time at all saying I was right all along. Don't go to parties, you guys. <laughs> That's the takeaway. No parties, no potlucks. Stick to yourself. Stay at home with your <laughs> your people on your couch where nobody's going to brainwash you. Except for maybe the people around us. Because <laughs> <laughs> something else you talked about made me, just gave me major codependent and enmeshment vibes. Uh, yeah. I mean, all of this can be true in yeah. any relationship. Our family, mm-hmm. we do this. Yep. In our family, we are this. In our church, in our community, mm-hmm. within our political organization, within our school system, we do this thing. There's a difference between being united and enmeshed. Mm-hmm. And enmeshment happens when the choice or the control or the consent is taken away from you Mm -hmm. and it's placed externally. 
I want to go back to something we were talking about, though, when we were talking about how women are socialized to freeze and men are socialized to fight. Because I also had this conversation with someone recently about not about him, him being disconnected from his physical body when it comes to how he feels, actually physically feels about things emotionally mm-hmm. or physically. And it was a, it made me stop. It really gave me a minute to pause and reflect because I, on the flip side, am hyper aware of what I'm feeling in my body at any given moment. Mm -hmm. Again, that's anxiety is in knowing what I know about the specific person's background. They were able to, they were in the military and that is very noble. My, I have several family members, several close friends who are either former or veterans or current members of the military. So this isn't about bashing the military. But one of the components of that being sometimes we have to do things for the greater good that we don't, that, that don't seem right. And it serves a practical purpose in that context. Yes. That we have to disconnect our brains from our hearts mm-hmm. or our physical from our spiritual. That is the definition of being disembodied. Mm-hmm. That is the definition of dismembering. And so is there ever a time when it is advisable? You know, to be disembodied. Yes. I because again, there are times it's a when you need mechanism. to do it for self-preservation. Yes. Yeah. And for survival. It's when we make a living mm-hmm. out of that or when it becomes a habit. Yeah. And I wonder if if socializing people to be in fight rather than freeze or mm-hmm. flight or whatever, if that also creates a disembodiment because if you know that you're supposed to fight but you don't actually feel like fighting, you're just going to disconnect that mm-hmm. particular plug so that you can move forward and do what you, your brain thinks you need to do when your body is saying, that's not what I want to do. Yeah. And that's another aspect of, of this dismembering that happens to us socially. And it wasn't, it was just something I hadn't really thought of before as someone who is hyper aware of how she feels physically at any given moment. And I had asked this person, like, how does that make you feel? And they, like in your body, where do you feel that? And they were like, I don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> I could name at least seven Does body parts compute. right now that have a specific <laughs> feeling when I think about this same concept. You don't, it just the numbness mm-hmm. of not thinking about and, and having lived 30 some years being that so removed from that physical part of your body mm-hmm. and how going back to the love language episode, we talked about um, with that physical touch is like stereotypical men's love language and how it's more, um, it doesn't require words, right? Mm-hmm. It just, it's more physical and how if someone 
really only feels whole when they are either sexually aroused or being sexually intimate, of course that would be not only addictive, but that would be the main way that you would feel love Mm -hmm. because that's the only time that you feel whole. It's the only time you're allowed to feel whole. Mm -hmm. And that's awful. Yeah. And I think that that's something. To its extremist form, I wonder if something like that creates a person like Keith Raniere. Yes. Yes. I think you're right. It's. So I have the post-it note upstairs of the maternal deprivation and I added another name to it today. And it's just like when we're not right, everybody has seen some kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. It might not be big T trauma. Every, every person has experienced something with the definition of trauma being something that overwhelms our, our emotional regulation system to the point that it is flooded and does not know how to react and then our threat response system is activated. Everyone's experienced something like that in their life. That not everybody is a serial killer or not everybody is a psychopath or a sociopath or a murderer or whatever. When that happens in conjunction with this prolonged period of disconnection from whether it's maternal deprivation, paternal deprivation, some kind of safe caregiver Mm -hmm. not being there and providing you with that safe space to grow and explore and make mistakes and have weird interactions with your classmates and then go, oh, yeah, no, I don't like the way that that feels in my body. Mm -hmm. Instead of constantly telling our kids to just suck it up and just deal with it. Sometimes we do need to do that, but it's not all the time. It's this, it's a back to this balance, but Mm -hmm. having that experience at a young age, it, it, I mean, it's science. It shapes people into being like these cult leaders. Mm -hmm. And that's such a responsibility to parents who are raising male presenting or male children. Another thing that I now have to think about. <laughs> I got to worry about him not being a serial killer now or a cult leader. And honestly, he's smart enough that they could actually be a cult leader if that swings the wrong way. And that brings me to one of my other points is using their power. I have using your powers for good or for bad. Mm-hmm. Obviously, do you choose the dark side or the light side? Use your powers for good. I still wonder if there's a part of, well, many of these people, I mean, we're talking about Keith Raniere in particular, but many of these people who rise to the tops of these groups, I wonder if they really and truly believe that they have done the right thing or are doing the right and noble thing. Mm -hmm. Like, do you? Going back to the love language episode, Mm -hmm. you asked that very question. Do people that are deeply embedded in that specific faith or I keep using the word dogma because who doesn't love Mm -hmm. a good Ben Affleck, Alanis Morissette reference. And of course, cannot forget Matt Damon Mm -hmm. who's also involved. Anyway, um, anyone who's involved in that specific rhetoric, do they, do these people at the top really believe what they're saying or do they know 
that it's shit. Yeah. And they talk about that, that I think it's in the first episode, but she says the people at the top know that this is an illusion. But I think maybe that's the very top. Mm-hmm. That's the cult leader knows that this is shit. But that I think there are plenty of cult leaders who have been extremely mentally ill, who have genuinely believed that they are a deity or what whatnot. And you can also know that it's illusion and still think that it's helping people. Yeah. Still really believe that it's helping people. Yeah. Life is an illusion, man. man. <laughs> is relative. Nothing is real. Everything's a concept. Are you aware that we're all going to die someday? So why does it matter? Well, and I think if we get, we go back to the use your powers for good or for bad, and that's the difference between a a knife in the hand of a surgeon versus Mm -hmm. a serial killer. I love that so much. I do too. I'm huge into it. Like, love it. Is that is why some of why these these groups are so attractive as part of it is because not all of it was bad. Mm-hmm. Not all of it was initial. Like they didn't come out and say, "Hey, guess what? We're gonna you want to join our group? It's really cool. We talk about growth. I'm gonna brand some dude's initials mm-hmm. into your pubic area, and you know we we eat babies and it's great. I don't know that Nixium ate babies, but like they don't usually come out and say no. that. It usually is is. Start it starts with a grain of truth, uh, with something that's believable. It can be two things, mm-hmm. and that's what's insidious about them is because that not only do they know exactly the kind of person to prey on, but they prey on the dialectics of it. Mm-hmm. They they bank on knowing that what's good for the goose is occasionally good for the gander. And then we're going to throw in some other shit, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I couldn't figure out how to stretch that metaphor any further. I have a, um, I have someone that I work closely with who has always joked about she could sell ice to Inuits. And that sh- uh, she, could, she could sell anyone in the company a shit sandwich and we would eat it with a smile on our face. What Enneagram do you think she is? Fucking scary. Uh, if you were eight. to guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say she's an eight. Or maybe a seven. That's the enthusiast, right? I now have to get my cheat sheet. She's probably an eight. I'm going to text her after this and ask her which Enneagram number she is. Um, but I choose to believe, based on game theory mm-hmm. and the numbers of marbles and that she has contributed to my marble jar, that she is using her powers for good. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes someone use their powers for branding or for loving. Yeah. How do you figure that one out? I bet maternal deprivation has something to do with it. It almost always does, doesn't it? <laughs> it's always mom's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That this was an interesting episode. Uh, um, you know what I was thinking of when we were talking about when there are times when it's best to be disembodied. Yeah, I was thinking about how that's become part of the conversation more recently. I feel mm. that, especially if you're in any kind of helping profession or. Uh, yeah. um, when it comes to mental health, you don't anymore go straight to, 
let's see how we get you back to a textbook definition of wellness. Mm. You start with what does wellness look like for you? Mm. And also, is that a safe route for you right now? Mm-hmm. Because that's important. That is. It's meeting people where they are and it's being realistic about what people are capable of. Think about all of the people who have come in with, it always comes back to good intentions, mm. wanting to help or save somebody and rushes them into healing when at that time, healing makes them vulnerable to some type of predator who can exploit them. After this episode is over, I'm going to tell you a conversation I had earlier today with someone where I may have pressured them into healing a little faster mm-hmm. than they were wanting to do. So I'm very triggered. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am the main character. <laughs> Am I the villain? Am I the is it, is it, am I the problem? Am I the drama? But that is such a good point. And an important thing to remember is just because we are in that place doesn't mean mm-hmm. that the, that it's safe or appropriate or realistic or right for someone else to be at the same place that we are. Because mm-hmm. we don't you don't want to shove someone on stage to sing opera who's only ever saying Mary had a little lamb. I don't know. I, I don't or know when you're trying came. to pull someone out of the deepest parts of these groups. Of course, especially if you're like we were saying, a parent hmm. of a child who's become immersed in something like this, you want to grab onto them with both hands right. and pull them all the way out. But I don't think it can probably work that way most of the time. It's got to be really gradual. You have to move slowly. You have to move carefully and deliberately and mindfully. It's like if you were to adopt a dumpster goblin cat. (laughs) You have to move very slowly Mm -hmm. at first with them. And you have to let them see that you're safe. And they get to go at their own pace. Hmm. I think anyone who's had a friend who's been in a domestically violent relationship has been in that boat, too, of knowing, like, this person is a horrible person. But I love my friend and I'm not going to abandon my friend. Mm -hmm. And then that comes back to, to our own boundaries and having to know where are our boundaries? How much are we able to be present for this person without it becoming codependent or enmeshed or or us taking on the responsibility for someone else's healing? But that's a good point. Any final thoughts about this? Oh, I'm just thinking about, you know, we're coming up on another holiday. Mm-hmm. Whatever holiday it may be for any of us, but there are a lot of holidays to celebrate around this time of year. A lot of families are gathering, a lot of conversations 
and differences of opinion mm. are taking place. And it is it is tempting for many of us to want to grab onto our relatives with both hands and pull them out of these groups or these beliefs that they may have adopted. Or maybe they want to pull us out. Maybe the, we're, maybe we're the ones that maybe they think the need problem. to be pulled out of something. But we just all need to move around one another with some gentleness and some grace, grace. and love. Generosity. Mm-hmm. And remember, it's not about you. Yeah. I think that is probably single-handedly the one thing that helps me the most when I'm in conflict with someone or, and it's not even, not even necessarily with family. It's just anytime you, that I'm uncomfortable in a situation or someone is talking to me about things that they think that I agree with that I don't, it's not about me mm-hmm. and what their, their inability to see my perspective is not because I haven't done anything wrong or because I haven't worked hard enough to show them the light. It's not my responsibility to force this person to heal mm-hmm. or to think a different way. It's it's not about me. It's about them. And when I let go of control of trying to control other people's opinions, expectations, reactions, it is a lot more peaceful internally and externally. Yeah. On that note, if this is your first episode with us, Go back and listen to one of the other ones (laughs) because this is a learning process. This is for fun for us. And um, we now know how that two-part episode goes and whether or not – and how not taking notes (laughs) goes and whether or not that's a model we want to embrace. It maybe wasn't our best, but – If you made it – I think there were some – I think there were some gems in there. Yeah. Uncut Uncut gems. gems. Please don't leave us because of that. Uh, but we do want to wish you and your families a very happy season, as always, as any season, um, knowing that this can often be a polarizing season for people. If you need help or if you need someone to talk to, reach out. Hell, you can email us at podthingspodcast at gmail.com. And that is not a plug for that's, that is genuine. That's a genuine email us. That's, that's a real email address and there's real people who will respond to it. I would like to not close without a Christmas carol. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. We just said we're not going to force people on stage to sing (gasps) when they're not ready to sing. Fine, It could be a solo. I'm comfortable with that. No, we said that from now on, we're going to close every episode by looking intently into each other's eyes and declaring what episode oh, yeah. we are going to do. Let's do it on three one. and see if we both say the same thing. Okay. Well, wait a minute. I need to, are we saying the title? Are we saying the guest? What the are guest. We, the guest. Okay. And and we'll see if we, we come up with the same okay. thing. One, two, three. Trisha Hersey. Oh. Chelsea Handler. (laughs) We could put it to a vote, but that would require me to do a lot of extra work. And I just don't want to do that because of who I am as a person. So we'll go with Trisha Hersey. I think it would be nice to do Trisha. And I say that because her 
whole vibe is about making time for rest. Mm, And after Christmas, if that is not a message that I certainly Mm -hmm. need to run with, Mm -hmm. walk with, sit with, no running, no walking, lay in a soft, quiet place (laughs) with. (laughs) Bed of rose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you heard it here first. If you made it this far. Next week's episode will be on the nap ministry with Trisha Hersey. And then the one after that will be about Chelsea Handler and breakups. (laughs) (laughs) We love you guys very much. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm Annalise. I'm Emily. And this is We Can Do Pod Things.